Let me pray as we come to look at these words together. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning before you, with your spirit present amongst us. You are present amongst us. The Lord Jesus is present amongst us. And with your word open, we have you speaking. Help us to be humble. Help us to be attentive. Fill our hearts with the strength to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I need to apologize. Um, I'm going to start with another quote from Lord of the Rings. I know I do this a lot, but what can you do? Um, the, the great queen of the elves, Galadriel, is speaking with Frodo and Bilbo and the whole kind of group who are on this mission to destroy the ring. And she talks about her people and how they have stood against the forces of darkness And at one point she says this, and together through ages of the world we have fought the long defeat. We have fought the long defeat. For Galadriel, uh, for the elves, despite all their efforts, their battle with evil feels like a long defeat, a battle they have been slowly losing. It's such a brilliant phrase, isn't it? Because it captures what life often feels like for many of us. A long defeat. Just just think about your own personal experience, whether that's physical, a body that is slowly breaking down. Or, Or whether it's spiritual, a battle with anger or doubt or shame or discontentment or lust. It can feel like a long defeat. Sometimes we hold the line, but very often we don't. Or maybe we sense it in the world around us. As Christians living in the West, fewer and fewer go to church, fewer and fewer follow Christ. I mean, are things really worse than they were, say, 15 years ago? I don't know. But subjectively, it feels like that, doesn't it? It feels as though there is a slow decline, a long defeat. Now, in Isaiah chapter 42, the Lord is talking to his people who are wallowing in exile at this moment, far from home. And actually, for hundreds of years, you could look at the history of Israel, and you could say Israel has been declining. There's been invasion, there's been civil war, and eventually exile. It must have felt like a long defeat for them. And God's consistent message to his people throughout these chapters is this, don't give up. Whatever you do, don't look to other gods and other idols to save you. Don't give up. Instead, he points them somewhere else to look. Chapter 40, we saw, he said, look up. Look at me. Look at my glory. Look at my splendor. And here he says, look somewhere else. Look at my servant. Chapter 42, verse 1. Here is, or look, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Look at my servant. The Lord has promised this great rescue. And here in chapter 42, we see the one who is going to do the rescuing. The Lord's servant. And we're just going to jump right to the end of the story. Because as this story unfolds, we know who this servant is. The New Testament is very clear. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was baptized, that the Spirit descended upon him visibly, and the Father audibly said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased, in whom I delight. 
That is Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, isn't it? The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the one who sets captives free and opens the eyes of the blind and brings justice. He is the Lord's servant. So this morning, we're going to look to Jesus. When it feels as though we are living in a long defeat, we're going to do what the Lord commands us to do and behold his servant, the Lord Jesus. And we're going to see that he brings a wonderful salvation because he is a wonderful saviour. Let's think about those things. First of all, a wonderful salvation. Listen to the rest of verse 1. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And we get that idea a couple more times in verse 3. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. So Jesus will bring justice to the world. He will bring righteousness or rightness to, to all things, all the way down, everything put right. Rightness in our hearts, rightness in our social structures, rightness in the created order. Can you imagine what that will be like? When Jesus brings justice, he will rid the world of lies and deceit and greed and lust and bitterness and injustice and anger and exploitation and violence, all of it gone. Devastating poverty, gone. Human trafficking, gone. That The powerful exploiting the wicked, no more. Abuse, hatred, war, lies about God, all of it, gone. And instead, Jesus will fill the world with all that is true and good and, and beautiful, rightly ordered. He'll restore the world so that there is order and peace and brilliance and glory so that everything spirals upward rather than constantly spiraling downward. He will bring justice. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. What a salvation. Justice, rightness in all things, all the way down, everywhere. But there is more to this salvation. Jesus will also bring liberty. Verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you. This is God talking to the servant. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Jesus will set people free from blindness, from their imprisonment, from their, from their dungeons. Now, given that, that Jesus is going to bring justice to the earth, then this liberty must include freedom from things like oppression or, or freedom from coercion and, uh, and manipulation. You know, for, for those caught in, in destructive relationships, threatening relationships who feel imprisoned, Jesus is promising freedom. But first and foremost, these verses speak of a more profound freedom. A spiritual freedom. See, all of us by nature are walking in darkness. Isaiah's already told us that back in chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're blind, Isaiah chapter 6, to what is ultimately real and true. We are blind to God. And Jesus will be a light to the nations. 
a light that opens our eyes, that sets us free from our dungeons of darkness so that we can know God and see the world clearly. Now that kind of knowledge is truly liberating, isn't it? It's like giving someone a Lego kit with no picture or instructions, but just Lego and expecting them to, 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 to make whatever it is that Lego kit was designed to make. You can put the pieces together in whatever order you want, but in the end it is just hugely frustrating. don't know how it all fits together. If you want to be free to enjoy it, you need to know what it's meant to look like. Jesus is the light that opens our eyes and shows us who we are meant to be and what life is meant to be. He opens our eyes so we can see God and know him. He opens our eyes so we can see the truth about ourselves. Yes, we are precious, but fundamentally flawed. He opens our eyes so we can see what is truly good and truly evil. How we can choose the good and turn from the evil. He opens our eyes to the purpose and and meaning of life. And with our eyes now open, we find liberty, even now. If we have our eyes open, trusting in the Lord Jesus, well, we have liberty from fear and despair. We have liberty from, from destructive choices that harm ourselves and harm others. We have liberty from self-obsession, from being controlled by money or sex or power or the opinion of those around us. With eyes open, hearts trusting in the one true God... We find liberty even now. What a salvation, justice, and liberty. That is what Jesus will bring. But just before we move on, I want to notice something, and I think it's a little bit surprising. And notice what this justice and this liberty are built upon. Listen to the end of verse 4. In his teaching, the islands, or the nations, it's a a, a kind of a metaphor, a picture of talking about the nations. In his teaching, the islands, the nations, will put their hope. In his law, literally, in his commands, the nations will put their hope. See, this earth, this world, will only experience true justice and true liberty when we recognize the rule of Christ. When we submit to his law, his teachings, his commands. At the moment, we are facing the chaos of another leadership crisis. But what do the nations, our country, what do the nations need most? Where will they find the fulfillment of the deepest hopes? In the rule of Christ. In his teaching, the nations will put their hope. And I think that means as we wait for the fullness of Jesus' salvation, like Isaiah, we proclaim not only that the gospel of Jesus, come to Jesus, find forgiveness and life, but we do also proclaim the law of Christ as well. Come and listen to the commands of Jesus, because under his law and rule, well, then you do find true justice and liberty. I think sometimes we proclaim that law loudly. 
We write to our MPs. We gently share with friends and and neighbors and those around us something of the law of Christ. We we talk about the goodness of of purity and sexual restraint. We, We talk about the primary importance of the family unit and parents bringing up their children. We urge our government to defend the defenseless and the vulnerable. Sometimes we proclaim the law of Christ quietly, subtly, in the way that we live. We live in obedience to Jesus. We take seriously his commands not to let anger and lust grow in our hearts. We take seriously his command to bring up our children in the way of Christ and to remain faithful to our our wife or to our husband. Take seriously his command to honor our parents, even in old age, even when it is costly, or to care for our family, particularly those who are most sick and unwell. And our hope and our prayer is that the nations would see that their hopes can only be met in Christ, only be met not only in his gospel, but also in his command and in his rule as well as we proclaim it overtly and and subtly in the way that we live and the way we speak. But you know, it it can feel very slow progress, can't it? Yeah, we want people to turn to the Lord Jesus. Yes, we want them to see that their hopes can be met in him. Sometimes it just feels like no one's listening. And I think here's the thing, even if no one listens, even if... The world we live in turns further and further from Christ. As if it feels like we are facing a long defeat. And we still obey Christ. We still commend Christ. Because it is right to do so. I read that quote from Lord of the Rings earlier. Together through ages of the world we have fought the long defeat. And I, the thing that Galadriel was trying to, to get across wasn't so much the outcome of the battle. The point she was making, the point Tolkien was making, is that they fought. The honor, the goodness, the rightness isn't so much found in the outcome of the battle, as good as that is. It's found in the fighting, the rightness in standing firm. So here's what it means for us. We fight to obey the law of Christ in our hearts. We fight to make not only the gospel of Christ known, but the law of Christ known to the world. Yes, because we long for others to come to know him. But also because it is right. We fight to obey Christ, to commend Christ. Because it's right. In the long defeat, we keep doing these things. Because they are right. So Jesus is God's servant. He'll bring about a wonderful salvation, justice and liberty under the law of Christ. The law that even now we commend to others. But secondly, we see he's a wonderful saviour. See, these verses don't just tell us about the salvation that Jesus secures. They tell us about him, the saviour. And they tell us that Jesus is a saviour who is both gentle and strong. Listen to verse 2 again. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is gentle. 
You see that in his life, don't you? If you know the life of Jesus. The woman, marginalized, who washes his feet with her hair in Luke 7, he gently reassures her, daughter, your sins are forgiven. The crook, Zacchaeus, who took more tax than he should in Luke 19, Jesus is gentle with him. Let me come and eat with you that you might find salvation, Zacchaeus. Doubting Thomas, he really should have believed. John 20, Jesus is gentle with him. Thomas, put your hands in my wounds. You can believe. And Peter, who publicly disowned Jesus, he's gentle with him. John 21, do you love me, Peter? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And don't we know the truth of that in our own lives? Those of us who've put our hope in the Lord Jesus. So often we come to Jesus in our frailty, and he never snuffs us out. Whatever little hope or little resolve we are left with, he never breaks us. Don't you just love it? Because there are times, aren't there, many times when we approach Jesus as bruised weeds and smoldering wicks. There are those days when we feel like complete failures. When the darkness and corruption in our hearts and in our lives just feels overwhelming. Days when the power of hell feels so much greater in our hearts than the power of heaven. Days when we are shot through with doubt. And the only sign of life in us is that we come to Jesus. Spiritual life. And Jesus' response, I can work with that. If that's all you've got, if that is all you can give me, just that you come to me, I can work with that. Those of you of kind of my age and era, you might remember the A-Team, back in the 80s, um, TV program. Saturday afternoon, fun for me. Uh, made up with this kind of group of, I don't really know, what they mercenaries? Like they kind of hired people you could use to kind of do the, the, the stuff that you didn't want to get done. A anyway, it was all good fun. Um, famous, actually, the A-Team for no one ever dying in uh, any of um, the, the characters, that is, not people in real life. I don't think anyone died in real life either. But anyway, the characters, you know, a car would tumble over a cliff and you'd always see the guy walking out, brushing himself down afterwards. Um, all family fun. But one of the things, in every program, every kind of episode, there was a moment when the A-Team, this group of of guys had to defend themselves against something. And they find some clapped out old vehicle or tank or whatever. It looks useless. And B.A. Baracus was the guy who would have to fix it. And he'd look at it and say, is this all you can give me? But then he'd say, I can work with that. He turns it into some kind of amazing fighting machine. I can work with that. We come to Jesus defeated and broken and distraught and overcome by sin, by guilt and by doubts. And Jesus says, I can work with that. I can grow your faith. I can give you deeper resolve. I can grow love in your heart. I can strengthen you and fill you with hope. Jesus will never break a bruised reed. And a smoldering wick he will never snuff out. He is a gentle saviour. Just go to him. But that doesn't mean he's a weak saviour. Verse 4. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. It's interesting the same words for, for bruised and smouldering. 
they're used in these verses. And literally they say, he will not smolder or grow faint. He will not bruise or, or be discouraged. He'll keep going and keep going until he establishes justice. Yes, Jesus loves the weak, but he himself is not weak. He loves the discouraged and the disheartened, but he himself is never discouraged nor disheartened. He is strong. And so our Savior and our Lord is both gentle and strong. Someone put it like this, the children are safe in his arms, but the demons are terrified. Jesus, our Savior, both gentle and strong. And in our final point, we just want to see that his strength and his gentleness come out in the way that our wonderful Savior accomplishes our wonderful salvation. The strong and gentle Jesus brings salvation through defeat. See, verses 10 to 17, they they show us the response to what you see in the servant. And, And the response is to sing. It is a song of praise. And in this song, they look forward to the coming battle. They sing about how the battle will be won. Verse 13. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Through his servant, the Lord goes into battle for his people. He will triumph over their enemies, accomplishing salvation. But this battle it doesn't happen on the front line, does it? It doesn't happen surrounded by trenches and, and guns and tanks. No, Jesus, who fights this battle, he fights it in the wilderness when he goes toe-to-toe with Satan in Luke chapter 3. Satan offers him all of the kingdoms of the world as only if Jesus would submit to him. And Jesus chooses obedience to his father. And Jesus fights this battle in the Garden of Gethsemane when he confronts the true horror of the suffering that he is about to endure on the cross and he chooses sacrifice instead of self-preservation. And Jesus fights on the cross. When the full weight of our sin, the full evil of our rebellion falls upon him and he fights to stay on the cross rather than let himself down. And Jesus fights in the grave when he breaks a hole through the wall that is death and raises himself up or is raised up to new life. And the amazing thing is that all these arenas and all these battles, Jesus is fighting, he's fighting for us. That The servant who is the eternal son of God, he had all the glory in the world and the delight of his father and he lived in, in joy and, and love, pure and perfect. He didn't need to fight these battles for himself. Now in the wilderness, the garden, the cross, the tomb, he fights for us. Sometimes um, we, we sing this hymn and it has these, these lines in it that be on the screen. We, we, we sing through the kisses of a friend's betrayal. He was lifted on a cruel cross. He was punished for a world's transgressions. He was suffering to save the lost. He fights for breath. He fights for me. Loosing sinners from the claims of hell. Jesus fights for me. But that fight, that victory for for salvation, it is not easy. 
It's not a breeze for Jesus. You see, look what they sing next after verse 13. Verse 14. For a long time I have kept silent. I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. You don't expect that after verse 13, do you? Verse 13, the Lord is a mighty warrior. It sounds like Jesus' battle, Jesus' fight. It's going to be a breeze. It's going to be a walkover. But verse 14, the Lord's victory is like a woman in childbirth. We've got to be a little bit careful when you're a guy and talking about these kind of things. But it's here in the scriptures. The Lord's victory is like a woman in childbirth. It comes through agony. Is that the right word? For a long time, the, the warrior is silent until the final moment, the moment of victory when he cries out with the cries of agony and pain. And again, that is, of course, Jesus, isn't it? If you read the accounts of his arrest and his trial and his death, the one thing that keeps getting picked up is that he's silent. He doesn't speak. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't lash out at those who are opposing him. He's quiet until the final moments of his life. When he's hanging on the cross and he cries out with his last breath, a cry of pain and a cry of victory, it is finished. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. Do you see? Like a woman in labor who experiences life at the moment of greatest agony, so Jesus experiences victory at the moment of seeming defeat. Jesus fights for us, but it is not a breeze. In the wilderness, in the garden, on the cross, in the grave, none of it is easy. The religious establishment turn away from him. Then the people turn against him. Then his own followers desert him until he fights alone on the cross. It must have felt like a long defeat for Jesus. But like a woman in labor, at the moment of greatest agony, at the moment of seeming defeat, Jesus wins. And he brings life and salvation. The wonderful salvation that our wonderful Savior brings us comes through apparent defeat. Jesus turns a long defeat into victory. Sometimes, often, in fact, life now does feel that way, doesn't it? A long defeat. A body that is breaking apart slowly. A mind that is fading gradually. A culture that feels as though it's becoming more and more hardened to Christ and his gospel and his law. That is why, in a time when it feels like a long defeat, we are told to look at Jesus. Because our Savior is the one who turns long defeats into victory. When life feels like a long defeat, what do you do? You look to Jesus. I've just got to say this as well, and you rejoice. You know, the thing about the song in verse 10 to 17, the people are encouraged to sing it even before they've experienced Jesus' salvation, even before this servant has come. 
Rejoice, they're told to sing. Praise the Lord. They sing, they rejoice in the anticipation of salvation. And that is the same for us, isn't it? We haven't yet fully experienced Jesus' salvation. But like the people in Isaiah's time, we sing and we rejoice in anticipation of that salvation. We rejoice even if it feels like the world is crumbling apart around us. Because Jesus turns defeats, even long defeats, into victory. And we rejoice even when our bodies break and our minds fade. Because Jesus turns defeat into victory. At that moment of agony, he brought life. And we proclaim his goodness. We delight in him. We find courage and joy and strength when we look to him, even if the darkness seems to be in the ascendancy, because Jesus turns defeat into victory. And so when life feels like a long defeat, the Lord commands us to look to Jesus and rejoice. He brings a wonderful salvation because he is a wonderful saviour, and he is the one who turns defeats into victory. Rejoice. Remember to quiet and I'm going to pray. Here is my servant. Look, behold, my servant. Heavenly Father, that is simply our prayer this morning. Whatever this week has in store for us, we pray that you would help us to behold your Son, the Lord Jesus, your servant. Turn our eyes to Jesus. May we reflect on the wonderful salvation that will be ours because of him. May we rejoice in the one who turns defeats into victory. And may we come to him, no matter how weak our faith feels, how shot through with doubt or misunderstanding or an awareness of the darkness within us, may we come to him knowing that he will not snuff out a burning wick, he will not break a bruised weed, reed, Heavenly Father, turn our eyes unto Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen.